Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us is Lily Adams, the senior spokesperson and advisor to the DNC War Room. Democrats.org is the website. Lily's Twitter handle is Adams Lily, L-I-L-Y, or at DNC War Room or at the Democrats. Lily, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Tell us about the new ad that you guys have out. Yeah, we just launched a new ad in Wisconsin and Michigan, which will be critical states this fall, basically to talk about the issue that's on a lot of parents' minds right now, which is whether schools are going to reopen and whether Trump is going to force schools to reopen without the proper testing, without the proper protective equipment for teachers. And we just know that parents do not trust this president to make that kind of decision, given how he's completely mismanaged the coronavirus crisis. What's your sense of how this is playing out? I mean, it certainly looks like we're looking at an absolute electoral disaster and blowout for Donald Trump. And yet, He's, I mean, you know, his whole thing tweeting about let's uh, postpone the elections. You could see that as a cynical move to push off the headlines off the front page, Mm -hmm. a discussion about the worst economic crash in the history of the world happening on his watch. Or you could view that as his trying to, you know, one up the John Lewis funeral or, you know, that he just like he's got this list of things that he can just throw out there when he needs to divert people's attention. Or this could be the opening salvo of his attempts when the election happens to say, you know, I tried to postpone this. I tried to fix it. You've got a disaster going on here because we hobbled the post office and there's all these mail-in ballots that have not yet been received by the states. What's your best sense? I mean, you're in the middle of this. You know, you're watching how this is happening. What's your best sense of what his strategy is going to be? And will the Republicans continue to support him in this kind of craziness? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, look, we've seen him do this time and time again. We saw him do it four years ago, where when he sees bad news, and the bad news that he got today is that 1.4 million more people made jobless claims, that the U.S. economy shrank by 32.9%, which is the single largest contraction of the U.S. economy on record. I mean, these are the headlines that he woke up to this morning. And so he tries to distract and sort of create a shiny object. But the problem is that the American people are not buying it. They know that their families are hurting. They know that their kids can't go back to school because he has bungled this crisis so badly. They know that friends and family and even themselves have lost their jobs because the president has completely screwed this up from day one. So I think the problem is that he used to do this and have some success, but now the American people just really aren't buying it. But I will tell you, and I think you were alluding to this, it is particularly insulting for him to do this and to talk about moving the election, which he know, we know he can't do, on the day of John Lewis's memorial, which there are few Americans who have given more to the protection of free and fair elections in this country than John Lewis. Yeah. Amen. Speak to the issue of race in the United States. Uh, my sense in 1988, and Lee Atwater actually bragged about this, that if George Herbert Walker Bush had not in a desperate move, or maybe not, maybe not desperate move, maybe just a cynical ploy, had not run the Willie Horton ads and characterized Mm -hmm. Michael Dukakis the way he was. Uh, Had it not been basically for his shout out to white racists, he would not have been president. Had Ronald Reagan not given his first speech once he was nominated as Republican candidate in 1980, in uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi, down the road from where Schwarmer and Goodman and Cheney were murdered, the civil rights workers, mm-hmm. you know, Reagan wouldn't have become president. In fact, I, I would say that probably the only Republican who has run for president and not put 
a naked appeal to white racism at the center of his campaign, probably George W. Bush in 2000. And there are people who would argue that he was doing it as well. It was just far more subtle. But clearly Trump is, I mean, you know, his tweets, you know, white suburban, (laughs) I'm going to keep black people from coming in your neighborhood. He all but said it, right? We have to acknowledge that racism is real in the white community. How big a role is that going to play? I mean, I think he has traded in a tried and true method of people in politics of racist dog whistles for racist bullhorns. I mean, he's not hiding this anymore, but we know he's a racist. He was a racist when he ran four years ago. He's a racist now. Um, and I, But, you know, I think the American people are tired of having a president who they see political wins by dividing folks. They see political wins by keeping people apart. And, you know, I think they just know that we're not going to build back better, as Joe Biden would say, if we're continuing to discriminate and to pit a group of folks in this country against another. Um, you know, I, Joe Biden said it very well when he started this campaign that this is a fight for the soul of our country. And I think we see that every single day, um, that we have to reject this kind of racist rhetoric um, from the White House, from Donald Trump. But increasingly, that's like that's all he's got left. Yeah. Lily, uh, you're working with the DNC, you know, right in the middle of all this. We have just a minute till we're going to hit a hard break. But uh, about six months ago, a uh, a friend of mine who is a Republican consultant in Washington, D.C., made the comment to me, Rutherford Hayes was not elected president of the United States, yet he served. And that sent me down this rabbit hole. Are you guys preparing and planning for if Donald Trump pulls some just wild ass shenanigan? Look, I think the Biden campaign and us at the Democratic Party are preparing for every single scenario to make sure not only that the results of the election are respected, but that every single American uh, can vote. And so, you know, we'll be working really hard to do that from now until about 90 days from now on Election Day. Lily Adams, senior spokesperson and advisor to the DNC War Room. Democrats.org is the website. Adams Lily is uh, Lily's Twitter handle, DNC War Room as well. Lily, thanks so much for dropping by. It's great talking with you. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Leslie in Springfield, Missouri. Hey, Leslie, what's up? I've got a few thoughts about these last six months till Inauguration Day. How much of the sky is going to fall? Who's in Trump's ear? How much more damage can he do going down? And then I keep seeing the term October surprise floating around on the Internet. Oh, plan on it. Plan on it. There has not been a Republican (laughs) since, since Nixon who didn't have an October surprise up their sleeves. You asked some questions, Leslie. Are those rhetorical questions or do you have answers for them? I just have a bad feeling about this. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I do, too. You know, when the co-founder of the Federalist Society, uh, Stephen Calabrese, comes out and Mm -hmm. says, this is the co-founder of the Federalist Society. This is the group that that vetted all these right-wing judges that Mitch McConnell has shoveled into our federal judiciary. The co-founder of the Federalist Society yesterday called for the impeachment and removal from office of Donald Trump for suggesting that the election should be delayed. Here's his actual quote. He said, uh, until recently, I had taken as political hyperbole the Democrats' assertion that President Trump is a fascist. But this latest tweet is fascistic and is itself grounds for the president's immediate impeachment again by the House of Representatives and his removal from office by the Senate. So when you've got conservatives, this guy isn't even a Republican. I mean, you know, he's beyond Republican. He's a, he's a hardcore, you know, uh, uh, billionaire-loving, Trump-humping conservative. And, and I guess he's not a Trump-humper anymore. When he's saying that it's time to impeach this guy, you know that it's serious. So, yeah. Thank you, Leslie. Thanks for the call. Sherry in Shelton, Washington. Hey, Sherry, what's on your mind today? The VP pick is on my mind, obviously. It's coming up. And I just, again, we we talked about this before, but I think we need someone who is going to supercharge the Democratic base and does not overly ignite the Republican base, and someone who champions the policies that help those who've been marginalized and affected by what we've been doing for the last 40 years. Well, and for many more, way beyond that. I think we really need to excite the Democratic Party, no matter how much everyone knows they want to vote. It still matters to have people wanting to actually do the work and make the phone calls and, you know, just get them charged up, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, not deflated. So who's that so person just, for you, just, Sherry? For me, it's Elizabeth Warren, because okay. she's, so, she's got the policy positions that will help us all. 
And yeah, no, I, you know, I I totally agree with that. Are you suggesting that if it's not Warren and it's a black woman or a woman of color, that's going to to use your phrase supercharge the Republican base? I think it will. I think it might pull away some people who are already leaning like, okay, we can't do Trump anymore. I didn't know we were this racist. I just had no clue. Yeah, I mean, when Obama was mm-hmm. running, I wrote a letter to my senators and said, we're, we're beyond racism in this country. <laughs> it's like, whoa, we're, was I wrong? Yeah. But her policies will help everybody. There are some downsides to some of the other candidates. I mean, that you brought one up just a little while ago, you know. Uh, the oh, it was Kamala Harris who let, who let be big. walk. You know, they're yeah, going to use that and go, you know, that's a, that's a small hit against the her. There's, there are hits against all those folks. I mean, you know, Elizabeth right. Warren's got, there are things you can hit uh, Elizabeth Warren with as well. I'm, I'm frankly yeah. to the point where I don't give a damn what the Republican right. base thinks. <laughs> Screw them. If I could say a, a stronger word on the air, I would. Uh, that's yeah. how emphatic I feel about the Republican base. They can just go screw them. I had a really yeah. scary conversation with someone at Costco the other day, a gasoline attendant, and he saw my Bernie sticker, and and he's like, oh, so who are you voting for? And he was real congenial, and yeah, I, I like to ask people. And, and, and then at the end, as he walked by my window, he said, yeah, if our homeboy doesn't win, there's going to be real trouble. And I thought, whoa, these people are scary. Oh, yeah. You're Pick looking at the fascist base. Make sure we win by big numbers. I mean, huge numbers. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it has to be an overwhelming repudiation of racism and yes. fascism because that's what's going on. It has to be and an economic disparity. You know, economic yeah. disparity. But I, where, you know, why we got I, here. I'm at the point, Sherry, where I will take anybody for vice president. I know, I mean, Tom. I, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't give a damn of what the Republicans have to say about it, and I can't think of a single person whose name has been seriously floated who wouldn't energize and make enthusiastic the Democratic base. I'll take anybody. I'll take anybody. And she noted, you know, well, if it's a, a woman of color, that'll activate the Republican base. I don't care. To hell with the Republican base. They can go screw themselves. I just don't care anymore. They have demonstrated that the values that they hold dear are racism, misogyny, and fascism. I don't feel any need, concern to accommodate them, to to be, and, and frankly, I'm not afraid of them. I'm not afraid of the Republican base getting all cranked up and all upset and all out there. Screw them. They are a small minority in this country. The Trump humpers in this country are a small minority. They're strutting around loud, trying to sound like and, and appear like they're much bigger than they are. But, you know, screw them. Bart in Randolph County, Indiana. Hey, Bart, what's on your mind? I'm the local party chair for Randolph County, Indiana. We're in the middle of Trump land. And I just wanted mm-hmm. to give some notes of progress that we're having on the local level. Um, and okay, I'm hoping great. this is happening all over the country. But we have the first African-American candidate in our county this year who also happens to be a woman. We have the first openly gay lesbian candidate in our county this year. And we have the first trans candidate in our county who the research we've done, if he becomes elected, will be the first trans coroner in the United States. Wow. Wow. And these candidates are all seriously competitive? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's a heavy Republican county, but we have Mm -hmm. uh, crossover support and we're getting Democrats out of the closet to come out and fight for us and raise money for us. And I just wanted to let some listeners know that there are positive things going on and there is some activism and some movement going on, even in Trump land. Good. Bart, thank you. That's great to hear. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Paul in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Paul, what's up? Now, you might not remember me, but I called in a couple of years ago. I had an acupuncturist who was so good she could cure Republicanitis. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I do remember. Yeah, what's up? But uh, anyway, I'm a, a big Bernie supporter, and thanks to your show, I first heard about Bernie on, on your show uh, with your mm-hmm. uh, Brunch with Bernie. Brunch with Bernie, But yeah. I want to uh, let you know, and uh, if you'd allow me to announce it, uh, I'm so I'm extremely progressive. I've decided to run for a seat in the uh, New Mexico House of Representatives for Good on uh, you, district Paul. just south, of, just south of Albuquerque. I'm a pilot and an engineer, so I've never really done anything like this before. But the Democrats couldn't find anybody else to run against the incumbents. I said, "Ah, what the hell? I'll do it." Uh, he's he's also a big Trumpster. Uh, he also won't talk to me anymore. Four years ago. 
I tried to engage him in a discussion to hold him accountable for his votes. And he basically said, if you don't like how I vote, why don't you run against me? So here I am. <laughs> so, I love it. So, Paul, what's the what's your so, campaign website for people who want to learn more or who, who might want to help you out? VotePaulK.org, because my name is Paul Kinzelman. So the website is VotePaulK.org. Just the letter K. P- yeah. V-O-T-E-P-A-U-L, the letter K.org. Yes. Right? Okay, and, great. Uh, that, Paul, I wish you the very best. With, yeah, I spent yeah. a lot of time laying out my positions and philosophy. If you go to uh, my incumbents website, it's pretty glitzy, but he doesn't really say anything. Whereas I have a lot of uh, progressive and all that stuff on there. So I'd like to encourage people to take great. a look at it. Help me out. So I appreciate being able to do a shout out. That is my great. Paul, thank you. Following. Thanks for the call. And I wish you okay. the very best of luck. VotePaulK.org. Paul, good luck. And keep us up to date on how it's all going. Valerie in San Diego. Hey, Valerie, what's up? I just wanted to let everybody know, so that people can quit worrying about it, that if you are homeless, you can vote. And I looked it up online because in San Diego, I found out that I can. But online, it says all 50 states, all you have to do is give a proximity of where you are staying in general. And that's so, you know, can district you. So you get your mail-in ballot, you know, because that's, of course, how you would have to do it. And the way you can also, what I've also seen in California, you can actually vote ahead of time because you can go down to, this was before the virus, of course, but you could go down to the Registrar of Voters office and drop off your, drop off your ballot there, or you can also vote right. there ahead of time. Right, right. And, and with the population, the homeless population in the United States going from being a fairly small, marginalized population to being a very substantial for the next three or four months, I, I think we're going to see an explosion in homelessness. This becomes an even more urgent issue. Thank you, Valerie. Chuck in Chicago. Hey, Chuck, what's up? You know, I was reading, I believe the site was immediate. They said that Kushner and Trump did not have national testing strategy in April because it was only affecting the blue states at that time. I think it's yes. something we all Jared know. Kushner made this argument. Right. Several people have, okay. have come out and said this was Kushner's argument. It's only killing people in the blue states. Yeah. Let's just, uh, you know, blame it on blame it on Cuomo and uh, other blue state governors and, and, and step back and don't do anything. And that's that's why right. we're in the situation we're in right now. Yes. That, but that but has I, been, argue- I You know, everybody except Jared yeah. Kushner has said that that's what Jared Kushner said. But I would argue that that's not just impeachable. That, by definition, is a war crime and needs to be called as much. That's no different from some two-bit African, yeah, or some two African African dictators starving his his uh, political opponents. There's no difference. Yeah, or South American dictator, or pick your pick your country. Right. Yeah, and that's 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 exactly what we have. Is we've got a two-bit dictator yeah. here. Uh, Chuck, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I think it's a crime also, and I hope it gets a hell of a lot more publicity. Don in Tacoma. Hey, Don, what's up? A lot of people listen to you, and I think it's a good idea for you to to say something. We don't try to get people in office who are willing to do something about working with the other side. We're going to end up with the same problem four years from now. And so, yeah, it's good that we get our our ideas in there and our people all lined up, but we do need to try to find those that are willing to meet us halfway and work with yeah, them. I, I, I absolutely agree, Don. And, 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 and I think we can do both. We can walk and chew gum. Michael in Bronx, New York. Hey, Michael. Hey, Tom. How you doing? You know, I remember it was perhaps two weeks ago, Joe Biden said that Trump was going to try to postpone the election as well as other people right. were making that same prediction. Yeah. And then Trump saying that that's not going to happen. It's crazy conspiracy series from Sleepy Joe. And then now here we are two weeks later, and then Trump tries it. So I, for one, would trust, quote, Sleepy Joe more than I would Dreamer Donald. I'd rather have a good night's rest than having to encounter any further nightmares, if you get my point. I do. I do. And Joe Biden wasn't my first choice to be the Democratic nominee, but he's a damn good man. And frankly, any Democrat, this is what I was saying earlier, people were calling about their choice for vice president. And the stakes are going up, by the way. In the last uh, 48 hours, I've gotten a couple of emails from Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. And, and just 20 minutes ago, I got one from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I think they're testing to see who generates the most response, the most engagement, the most money, frankly. 
I suspect they have not yet made their decision, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I'll vote for any of them. I'll take any Democrat right now. You're period. listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Mary in Mill Creek, Washington. Hey, Mary. Thanks for listening to KBCS. What's up? First of all, mail-in ballots, if you're a state with mail-in ballots, send them in immediately upon receiving the ballot because um, your name drops off the candidates list of voter contacts from the states as soon as your ballot's recorded. And that keeps you from being contacted by the campaigns. But more importantly, Mm. it really saves local candidates a lot of time and money as they only need to contact those who have not voted yet. And we would get that list on Monday and Thursday of every week. Yes. And so it's number one, it just saves the local candidates. I mean, I raised $150,000 for my campaign for just a local state rep campaign. Wasn't even enough to touch TV ads or anything like that. The other thing I wanted to stress about uh, this, and it's a little bit different because we're not doing doorbelling this time, but be kind when you're called. Don't get pissed when you receive mail and answer the door. My campaign knocked on over 2,000 doors, and it was amazing how rude uh, people were. I say reward their commitment. Local candidates have so little money for their campaigns, so doorbelling and phone calls are the least expensive way to get your name out there. Show respect for that commitment. Reward that commitment. Don't slam the door in their face. Yeah, I've been getting text messages from campaigns, and and initially it really irritated me because I never asked for these. But now I'm understanding it. Thank you, Mary, for helping me understand that. Finish it. Well, it is just... It's just such a, and and then I think that all of the reasons I just gave you are also why national mail-in ballots would be so much better. It's just such a more cost-effective Everything about it for me was so much easier because it is overwhelming. Louise and I voted three days ago here in, in uh, Portland, Multnomah County. Our county has a, an election. Yep. There's only one race, right? I mean, it was literally mm-hmm. one ballot with with two candidates. Pick one of these two people. You know, we, it came in the mail. We got it. We filled it out. We dropped it in the mailbox. That's it's it. postage paid. It's a no-brainer. You just sign the outside it's of the envelope no-brainer. and off it goes. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. The other thing I wanted people to know because they can get really agitated about this, but, you know, when you see no soliciting signs, that is for selling, soliciting and mm-hmm. sales. In Washington State, I believe it's every state, I'm not sure, but in Washington State, no soliciting signs does not include political campaigns. 
You're not soliciting. I didn't know that no soliciting or, signs had any legal status. I thought they were just a, an assertion that, you know, leave me alone. They, you, well, it is an assertion, but they can hold your com- campaign accountable if they're, if they're you know, enough of a jerk and want to pursue it, you know. But I'm just saying oh. that in Washington State, when I got my, uh, uh, my booklet from the, you know, uh, committee to you know teach you how to run a campaign and everything one of the things they said was you can just ignore the no soliciting signs political campaigns are allowed to hit every door they're They're covered fascinating mary thank you for the call thanks for the education okay i appreciate it great to hear from you henry in atwater california hey henry what's on your mind today I'm wondering why the Democrats don't play a little uh, role reversal here with Trump and offer up legislation to uh, allow universal absentee voting, because he thinks that's the best, that's the greatest, and that way we save ourselves from the horror of mail-in voting. The problem, uh, we had a caller earlier who talked about this, Henry, the, the, the Tenth Amendment basically gives the states any power that is not specifically defined in the Constitution for the federal government. And that includes the power to run elections. So some states have this baked into their constitutions, which means it'll be very hard to get out. Other states simply have passed laws to make it harder to vote by mail. Louisiana, I believe it is, requires that your vote by mail be notarized. Uh, Several other states require that you have a witness sign it. I mean, there's just like, it's scattershot. In New York State, you have to have basically an excuse. In Texas, you have to have literally a doctor write the excuse for you or, you know, a a second party, an authority figure say, yes, this is why. I don't think that there's any federal legislation that can fix that. Right. So then do it at the state level. You would have Trump more than likely supporting it because he'll never figure it out. Uh, he'll support it, which gets his supporters support. Democrats would support it because they're saying, "Really, this guy's going for this?" Yeah, right. I mean, so yeah. do it this at the is, state level. Is, yeah, it's harder. It means having to yeah, do but it. But the, the problem is doing it at the state level. Is all the states? Not all the states. New York has a, has some big problems in this regard. But most of the states that have these really onerous vote by mail hoops to jump through provisions are Republican controlled states. And the Republicans are very happy with fewer people voting. I mean, Paul Weyrich in 1980 said, you know, frankly, the, our leverage in the elections goes up as the voting populace goes down. And that has been the Republican mantra since 1980, and it, and it continues to be their mantra. And I don't see Republicans at any point saying we're going to make it easier to vote, ever. Well, so, yeah, but know, I, they're scared to death of Trump. And if he supports it in their states, they, a lot of them will fall into line. Well, anyway, just I, thought. No, it, it's a great thought, Henry. And, and this, is, this is where uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in H.R. 1, the first piece of legislation, House Resolution 1, the, literally the first bill to pass the House of Representatives, that got sent over to the Senate and Mitch McConnell has refused to even allow it to be brought up in committee, much less bring it to the floor of the Senate. H.R. 1 would have provided money to states to secure the vote. It would have stipulated that if you are you know, registered to vote, that your vote has to count. It would have amplified the right of people to vote. It would have made voting by mail easier in those states that don't have specific laws against it. And it would have encouraged those states to change those laws. It would have made it illegal for the kind of uh, out-of-country voter election meddling that we saw in the 2016 election, when, when Russia, billionaires in Israel, Saudi Arabia, Seth Abramson wrote a book about this, Proof of Conspiracy, numerous countries involved themselves in our elections. Now we hear from, from the Intelligence Committee that both Russia and China are involving themselves in this election. I mean, this is not good. Fritz in Palm Desert, California. Hey, Fritz, what's up? Hello, Tom. I would like to suggest that the Democrats in the House put forth a bill that would fund and require ballots to be sent by each state to all the registered voters. Those states, then, that don't want to have the votes returned by mail could simply have their voters walk in, show their ID, and drop off the ballot quickly, safely, securely. Let the Republicans fight that idea. Well, actually, in one state, you've got Republican legislators trying to pass a law making it illegal for there to be drop boxes. 
<laughs> number one. Number two, you've got some states who have state laws and in a couple of cases, state constitutions that make it very, very difficult to vote by mail. So I don't think that, you know, given the 10th Amendment, I don't think that a federal law would be able to blow that up. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great idea. It's a great start. And, and H.R. 1, the first piece of legislation that passed the House of Representatives uh, when Nancy Pelosi took over the House at the, at the beginning of this congressional term a year and a half ago, H.R. Uh, 1 addressed these issues and provided for election, insecure, uh, election security. And, and, you know, and, and, and uh, it would have worked. Uh, but uh, Mitch McConnell, of course, will not allow this to come up in the United States Senate. I am convinced that McConnell is uh, every bit as much in the pocket of foreign oligarchs, multiple foreign oligarchs, multiple countries, as is Donald Trump. And they just don't care about democracy at all, about our republic, frankly. Robert in Montclair, California. Hey, Robert, what's up? What do you think about Calvi Chapo promoting so heavily the Republican Party when I've been going there for years and all of a sudden they're very biased in uh, even attacking this is your the church? Left. Yes. Yes, and for some reason, they're even releasing, uh, well, our pastor, I don't want to name him because I still care about him, but why are they releasing personal opinions on YouTube uh, that the Black Lives Matter is, it's uh, it's not a good cause, and, uh, you know. It's time to find a new church, don't you, Very careful. I'm sorry? It's time to find a new church. Yes, yes, but for some reason now, you know, I, I think it would be in their best interest to, uh, uh, you know, to unite people and not to separate them because it's separating mm-hmm. me. And I'm pretty sure it's separating a lot of people from the uh, Calvary churches. Yeah, so it yeah. just bugged me a lot. And I just wanted to see your comment about that. It's illegal. Uh, it, it, well, actually, if your pastor is going on YouTube and speaking as himself, then it's perfectly legal. If he's using church money or if he's, you know, in the context of his uh, official duties as a pastor of the church. If he's promoting politics, he uh, has broken a law that has to do with uh, that would cause his church to lose its tax ex- tax exempt status. Status. You could document that and report it to the Internal Revenue Service. The Trump IRS won't do anything about it. The Biden IRS might do something about it. And uh, you know, but I, I step one for me would be that's the last time I walk in that church, and I would make sure that everybody knows exactly why. Um, Robert, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Uh, Robert in Greenville, North Carolina. Hey, Robert, what's up? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind? For now on, when Republicans talk about the post office, if it's safe enough to mail tax refunds, Social Security checks, stimulus checks, driver's licenses, Social Security cards, prescription drugs, passports, and voter registration ID cards, then it's safe enough to vote by mail. Period. Right. Right. And that's common sense would indicate that, Robert. But I got an email this morning. I got you know I got one. Project Veritas is in on this now. Now you've got you know uh, O'Keefe talking about how there's going to be you know millions of phony ballots, and there's hundreds of people who are or thousands of people who are registered to vote who aren't even still alive and don't even live here anymore. Well, yes, of course that's true of every state in the union, and maybe ballots will be sent out to those people. But guess what? They're going to get returned, deliverable. The whole thing is a joke. All these desperate attempts to try to stop people from voting. We've been voting by mail here in Oregon for 20 years. And there have been like, you know, a half a dozen, a handful, a half a dozen cases of documented voter fraud. And and typically it's where, you know, a husband voted for a wife or vice versa. And the spouse was unhappy with with that having happened and busted them essentially. But I mean, that's about as bad as it gets. The reason that Republicans hate this, when you're trying to stop somebody from voting by mail, it's a little harder unless their, their name is clearly recognizable. It's a little harder to know exactly what race they are or exactly what their politics are. And so, you know, there we go. Ron, in uh, Bering Springs, Michigan, or is that Berrien Springs? Berrien Springs, Michigan, Tom. Berrien, I thought so. So what's up, Ron? Tom, I don't think it's any coincidence that Trump released Roger Stone, an admitted agent provocateur, at this time to uh, foment destruction, uh, violence, and uh, sabotage to ensure that Trump is reelected. Roger Stone's actions go back with Manafort to, I I know, at least Liberia, where they interfered and they had a terrorist agent provocateur operation going on in other parts of Africa. So uh, 
their use of violence or his use of violence in his organization is not uh, not this smiling old man who's too old to go to jail. He's an admitted terrorist. And now, this is back in the 80s. And people forget that that the, the the political consulting firm that these guys started was called Stone Manafort, wasn't it? Or Manafort Stone? I mean, they were business partners. So. And they were and they were and they were selling. They were they were political advice for hire to some of the worst dictators and most violent autocrats in the world. So it makes perfect sense that they would do everything they could to help Donald Trump. Yes, Tom. And he also was responsible or part of the Brooks Brothers riot down in Florida to stop the the vote count between Gore and and, uh, Bush. And uh, Kavanaugh was one of those Brooks Brothers pounding on the doors to uh, ensure that he got his Supreme Court. Kavanaugh and Roberts weren't they weren't down there pounding on the doors. They were meeting there. They had 50 lawyers down there who were prepping. Uh, was it Olson, the lawyer who yes. argued the case before the yes. Supreme Court? Theodore and beca- because Roberts and Kavanaugh had clerked, Roberts specifically had clerked for Rehnquist. And Kavanaugh, I forget what Kavanaugh's background was at that point. Maybe he was just a volunteer lawyer. But these, both of these guys, I mean, this is why George Bush made John Roberts chief justice. It was thank you. It was, it was John Roberts' argument that won the day in the U.S. Supreme Court in Bush v. Gore in 2000 when the George Bush campaign argued before the U.S. Supreme Court that if the vote was recounted in Florida, as the Florida Constitution requires, and as the Florida Supreme Court had required, if that happens, it will, quote, cause irreparable harm to complain to plaintiff George W. Bush, end quote. And, you know, sure enough, it would have. It would have found that Al Gore won the election, which is what they determined, you know, when they when they went on and actually uh, counted the vote. So, yeah, Ron, I think most Americans are, are unaware of an awful lot of this history. It's really unfortunate. Dave in Torrance, California. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Yes, I think one of the lessons we can take from this coronavirus issue is that we can realize when American leadership is missing, we can, with American leadership, we can achieve so much. And and when it's missing, we, we may suffer as a result of it the, the most, like it did in this case. I believe that... Uh, uh, like last week, I, I even asked, I mean, uh, what if Hillary Clinton was a president? I believe if she was president, even though I'm not her fan, she's such a workhorse. This disease would have been stopped right in China. And we would not have left the, the Paris Accords and uh, Iran would still be in a box and would not be developing nuclear weapons. And North Korea would have been chastened. I'm not Hillary Clinton's biggest fan either, but she understands how government works and she's competent. And what we have right now is a guy who, who and, and an entire Republican Party, frankly, by the way, who don't care how government works and who and, and who don't care even for competence. You know, they just want to get more money for their billionaire buddies and derail regulate more industries. Charles in Summerfield, North Carolina. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind today? Well, there's an interesting post online today showing a video of Trump trying to vote in person and how much he's struggling to do it. And yeah, that brought up something that, that I've been... Right. It brought up something I've been thinking about for quite a while now, his not wanting to read, tearing up papers that were given to him after he, quote, read them. Has anybody even begun to look into the fact that this man might have dyslexia? That would make a lot of sense. He's apparently struggled with reading his whole entire life, having to hire people to take his tests for him. Uh, he hired somebody to take his ACT test, probably throughout college. I mean, back the, back in the 60s, and you know, it was a big thing, actually, to to hire people to yeah. sit in for you in classes and write your papers. My father struggled with a mild form of dyslexia, and I, and I didn't know it until I became older. But anytime he would sit down to read anything, it was like, okay, I'm going to go over here by myself, no, no noise, no distractions, and I'm going to intensely concentrate for the next hour or however long it takes for me to read the document. You put an engineering document in front of him or something that along those lines, and he had it in an instant, not a problem. Problem. And so that's why I'm beginning to believe that this man and when, you know, he reads something and then tears it up. If somebody comes back, he says later that the paper said this and this. They said, no, it didn't either. And he says, well, prove it. And even if they come up right. with a copy, he can say, well, that's not the same thing that I read. 
Yeah, so he, he, he develops these elaborate pseudo-realities around himself to cover up the fact that he, did, that he couldn't understand what was written down because he, he can't read because he has dyslexia. Makes a lot of sense. I'm trying to remember I, mean, I don't know what if anything can be done about it, but it would explain an awful lot. Yeah, it would. And dyslexics very often have really great spatial intelligence. Like a lot of sculptors are dyslexics. They have a hard time reading. And being a builder, you'd have to have pretty good spatial intelligence. Not that Trump has necessarily been a successful builder, but anyhow, Charles, thanks for the call. That, that, is a, that makes a lot of sense. This was truly bizarre. Donald Trump comes out. He was talking about China specifically. But then he goes off on Joe Biden. That's illegal. I mean, it's literally, I, I don't think a single president in my lifetime has ever done this. It's a viol- There's a law against this. It's called the Hatch Act, which says that you can't use federal property for campaign purposes. You can't, from a, a member of Congress's office, can't conduct campaign activities. Uh, you've got to go to a separate place to do that. When we were doing our show from Washington, D.C., in the first couple of years we were in D.C., we were in a building, uh, maybe a block and a half away from Union Station. And it was about two blocks from uh, the, I believe, the Rayburn House building, the office building, or maybe it was the Hart Senate building, because uh, a number of, I, I, I almost named some of them, but uh, there was you know, just one elevator in our building, and I was constantly in the elevator with senators. And they were going to these little rooms. This was a six-floor building, and they were going to the, these little rooms that they rented to do their electioneering, dial for dollars and things. In fact, most of the ones that I met were Democrats in the elevator. Well, Trump broke that law yesterday. His daughter had her ultimate, her penultimate let them eat cake Marie Antoinette moment with her new website about find something new, right? You, you've lost your job? Well, hey, why don't you just become a broadcast engineer? Yeah, that's one of the categories they recommended people check out. I'll tell you, I'm in the broadcasting industry. Clear Channel, now called iHeartMedia, just did another huge round of layoffs. There's no jobs for broadcast engineers that I know of. I mean, it just goes on and on. So this weird stuff, I mean, you know, this was kind of the, the psychodrama background. But in the middle of this was some very serious stuff that I've been talking about on this program for some time now. And I point out when it kind of pops above the surface, but, you know, like an iceberg bobbing in the water, most of it is under is not visible and, and doesn't get talked about that much. Specifically... Last week, I shared with you how in the South China Sea, we had two aircraft carrier groups, two battle groups that were moving into areas that China had claimed for itself. And we provided them with a list of areas that we say, you know, we're not recognizing your sovereignty here. And the Chinese response to that was to tweet out a statement about the two new weapon systems that they have that are specifically designed to blow aircraft carriers and destroyers out of the water. Mini submarine-based systems and missile systems that would just take us out. And basically what they said is, yeah, you, you think you're going to you know, sail through Chinese waters? Uh, you're only doing it because we're letting you. And if things were serious right now, you would be dead. Because we control these waters. Congress passed this law. I'm not sure exactly when it passed. I, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it was the... Um, let me get the name here. It was a sanction. It's a, it was called the Hong Kong Aut Autonomy Act. And basically what the Hong Kong Autonomy Act does is it authorizes the administration. And Congress passes laws and then the executive branch, the president's branch, carries those laws out. And it authorized the president to, uh, to, to put sanctions on Chinese companies, on the government of China itself, and on Chinese individuals. And that was the whole point of Trump's Rose Garden speech yesterday. That was what it was supposed to be about, was his saying that, you know, we're going to be tough. He says, I'm, I'm the toughest president ever on China. Because he thinks that his campaign is going to be all about Joe Biden and China. In fact, I'm seeing ads right here in the Portland media market 
um, where they're, they're, you know, clips from Joe Biden 20 years ago talking about, you know, uh, how, how great international trade is. And yeah, you know, Biden's always been a free trade guy um, uh, by and large, but still, he's, he's, not, he's not totally crazy. Um, but, you know, Trump is going to try and portray Trump, who's manufacturing his Trump products in China as we speak, says he's going to he's going to take on China. And uh, so, you know, he came out and he basically trashed China for what they're doing in Hong Kong. And China now today says uh, we're going to retaliate. And I mean, this is this is serious stuff. China on Wednesday said that they would uh, they vowed to retaliate, saying that the Hong Kong Autonomy Act, quote, maliciously slanders its uh, Hong Kong security law. Which is being used right now to round up pro-democracy advocates in Hong Kong and throw them in jail and their families. And they're also arresting the families of Chinese people who are outside of China in order to force those people to go back to China where they will be put in prison. Saudi Arabia has done this for years. A lot of autocratic regimes do this. You hold families hostage. And, and Beijing is saying, okay, that's it. We're, we're going to punish you back. And China is now threatening to put sanctions on some people inside the Trump administration. But the point where I wanted to take this is that I, I think that we've gone, we've gone beyond the edge here. When I, the, the month that I lived in China back in uh, November of 1988... I believe. No, it was, 19, it was November of 1987. Um, that, at that time, I was studying acupuncture at a hospital in China, and I was living in that hospital. In fact, one of the guys who was one of my roommates sent me an email uh, earlier this week. I haven't heard from him in years. He's, he, he's, he's a psychiatrist, and he was there studying acupuncture also. Brilliant guy. Um, name is Pablo. Um, but in any case, uh, and we had two Japanese roommates, too. Um, but at that time, the tallest building in, in Beijing was the 10-story uh, Marriott or Hyatt or Hilton, whatever. I think it was a Hilton, actually. Um, and it had a, uh, a pizza restaurant and a steakhouse in it. And <laughs> that was the place where people went to, to eat, right? Uh, although, you know, for literally two or three cents, you could get a just great Chinese meal, which we did almost every single day. But it was a very poor country at that time, in 1987. And now it's, it's, you know, it's the economy is rivaling the United States and soon will surpass us. So isn't it time to say, okay, we built China by moving all our jobs there and moving all our companies there. Obviously not all of them, but so many of them. And, you know, let's reverse that because China is not a democracy. Let, you know, but, but this breast beating, this chest thumping stuff, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff that leads to war. Can't we, don't we have the ability to say, yeah, that country may have a crappy form of government, but it's not our job to change it? I, you know, we, we walked away from Vietnam in 1975, and, you know, Vietnam actually has not had a single COVID death because they locked down early, they did masks, they did testing, they've got aggressive contact tracing. Now, you know, Vietnam's not a government I don't want to live under. It's a communist dictatorship, essentially. But um, we were able to let them continue to survive after dropping more bombs on them than in all of World War II. I mean, isn't it time to say, okay, enough already. You know, we're, we're just going to disengage from China and Saudi Arabia and some of these other countries as well. What do you think? This is the Tom Hartman Program. I'm really concerned that this uh, iCloudius stuff is going to lead to World War III. I'm really concerned about this. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
Alexis in Brookline, Massachusetts. Hey, Alexis, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? I wanted to ask about two things on the same subject, about China's involvement, possible, probable involvement in the upcoming election. First of all, could the voting machines that are made in China, that are newly brought to our country, could those play a part in some kind of, you know, last-ditch, uh-oh, we're going to lose, we can use this fail-safe to ensure that we win? And then also, is Trump's bravado recently against China? Could that also be a plan he had made with uh, Xi Jinping to make it seem like there is nothing going on here, that there is no problems? Because, as you know, China also has been doing like, oh, America planted the virus, you know, their thing, too. So could this have been a deal that they had made? Yeah, um, I, I suspect... First of all, with regard to the voting machines, yes. I mean, that's a that's a very large concern. Most of our electronics are made in China. It's starting to freak out the military as well. Uh, the whole Huawei thing, you know, uh, is is uh, um, not good news. You know that the Trump administration is caving to China on Huawei. Um, but the voting machines are made in China by and large. I believe all of them are made in China, and uh, that can, should concern all of us. Um, uh, with regard to Trump making a deal with Xi, saying essentially, I'm going to attack you in public, wink, wink, nod, nod, you know, in private, we all know what we're working for, which is the end of democracy and a rise of oligarchy. Um, you know, yes, I absolutely believe that that's exactly what's going on. And, and Bolton's book confirms that in some part. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's very, very troubling, Alexis. And, and, you know, I'm just shocked. I, you know, if if this if Obama was accused of these things or any Democrat was accused of even 10 percent of what Trump is doing, the Republicans would be screaming treason. They'd be calling for, you know, uh, firing squads. Uh, it, I mean, the, the rhetoric would be not even a question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, just and 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 uh, and now you've got, you know, Jerry Nadler, the, the chairman of the Judiciary yeah. Committee in the House where impeachment originates being asked, well, should we try, you know, should we impeach him again? And should we impeach Bill Barr? And he's like, nah, it'll be a waste of time because of the Senate. I don't think it's a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't, and, and frankly, I, and thank you, Alexis. And I don't think it's a waste of time, even if you don't succeed in removing them, to put on the historical record for all time that these guys are corrupt. I see nothing wrong with it. Gail in Alpena, Michigan. Hey, Gail, what's on your mind? I heard a report on MSNBC that if three Republican governors don't accept, I don't, I can't remember the name of it, but if they don't accept the votes in their state, that there will be no election, that Trump will be president again. Yeah, this is a theory that Republicans have been kicking around for the better part of a year that I know of. And that is that in the election of 1876, Rutherford Hayes and Sam Tilden ran against each other. Hayes was the Republican. Tilden was the Democrat. Tilden won the majority of the popular vote. Tilden won the majority of the Electoral College votes. But Tilden did not ever become president. Hayes became president. And the reason why was because the, 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 there were three states in the South that were occupied by the Union Army. And then Oregon was occupied by the Klan. Um, these four states... The, uh, the governors could not certify a particular slate of electors. And so the Electoral College, so neither of the candidates hit 50% plus one for the Electoral College. And under the 12th Amendment and legislation passed since the 12th Amendment that clarifies all that stuff, that means that the election then goes into the House of Representatives where each state has one vote, and that vote is determined by the legislature of the states. And there's, uh, I think, 29 or 30 states that have legislatures that are majority Republican. And so Donald Trump would get reelected. I didn't know that that had made its way into the ecosystem of MSNBC. I've been talking about it on this program for a few months. Um, they, we had a caller yesterday at the very end of the show who was saying, um, maybe not. You know, it, it may not work out as easily as you're suggesting. And times have changed and there have been legislative fixes. But the fact of the matter is that none of that has been passed through the courts. So uh, if, 
if Trump tries to pull a 12th Amendment uh, trick by saying, you know, if, you know, Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott, for example, say, well, here in Texas and Florida, uh, you know, enough electoral votes that nobody gets a majority or, uh, you know, and I'd have to go back and slice and dice and see exactly which states would it take to make this happen. But if there's a few mm-hmm. large states that say, you know, we can't we can't certify the vote, then the 12th Amendment could conceivably kick in, at which point there would probably be a lawsuit. It would probably go to the Supreme Court and John Roberts and the five, uh, you know, and his four uh, Republican colleagues on the Supreme Court would decide who, who is the next president. And, uh, you know, we saw that movie before in 2000 when Al Gore won the popular vote by 500,000 votes, by half million votes. And it turned out Al Gore actually won the election in Florida, but the Supreme Court stopped the recount, the, the recount that was mandated by the, the state of Florida's um, constitution because the election you know, was within a half a percent. And uh, you know, the Supreme Court basically just said, oh, well, you know, or the Republicans on the Supreme Court, it was you know, five to four decision. We will give this election to uh, George W. Bush. That may well happen again. Cliff, in, uh, over at uh, HartmanReport.com, you can plug in uh, election, I think, into that search engine, and it'll come up. Cliff in Santa Clarita. Hey, Cliff, what's up? Real quick reminder, Betsy DeVos said children are stoppers of the virus. Remember that? Uh, I don't remember that, but I, I'm yeah, not surprised. Yeah, she said that like last week or something. She said children are stoppers of the virus. Yeah, they don't stop it. They spread it. They just don't get as symptomatic as frequently. Yeah. Although we had a nine-year-old girl in Florida die just last week. Yeah, she can lie just as good as as Trump. Anyways, uh, okay, the biggest, two biggest contributors of greenhouse gas on the planet are us and China. We got this situation in the South China Sea with this military posturing, and our relationship just isn't good because of the trade deal. And we need to work together, our two big countries, to seriously handle this climate change, global warming thing. Do you think Joe Biden can repair the relationship and, and really get substantive work done on this crisis? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, and I'm hoping that nobody takes Trump's bait between now and January 20th, because uh, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to try to start, uh, you know, s- some variation on Reagan's little war theory. Right. Right. Reagan had his little war uh, after Margaret Thatcher had such great success with the Falkland Islands and her popularity went from in the 20s to up into the 80s as a result of this little military victory she had. Um, then, you know, Reagan did the same thing in Grenada. Then his vice president, George Herbert Walker Bush, when he became president, did the same thing in Kuwait and Iran, in Iraq. And uh, George W. Bush, of course, had his little wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, and they turned out not to be so little, tragically, for us and for the world. And Trump was tweeting back in 2012 that in order to get reelected, Obama is going to attack Iran. So we know that he thinks this way. I am just very hopeful that there is no country out there that will take his bait. The way that Michael Flynn reached out to the Russians when Obama sanctioned them after the election, uh, Obama was still president, but Trump had been elected. And Obama sanctioned the Russians, and Michael Flynn reached out and said, don't worry, don't react, we're coming, we're coming in, don't worry. I hope they get that message, that same message. Don't worry, don't freak out, don't take the bait. Because uh, the last thing we need right now is a world war, or even a small war, and uh, particularly with Donald Trump at the helm. Brian in Aliso Viejo, California. Am I saying that right? Aliso Viejo. That's correct. Orange hey, County. what's up? So, well, a wise man once said, you know, democracy is not a spectator sport. We need to get active. So yeah. my question for you <laughs> is when it comes to uh, making sure that the votes get certified in enough states that Joe Biden can get 271 plus electoral votes, isn't it basically the states that are either blue or purple states, the states that are crucial for a Democratic, a Biden victory? Isn't it the states in which there is a Republican secretary of state that we need to be worried about most? Um, you know, I've been, I've been trying to dig through this, 
Brian, because uh, I've had some people suggest to me that it is, no, it's the governor who will make the decision about whether the vote is certified in that state. And you've got some states, you know, like Michigan, for example, where you've got, and Wisconsin, where you've got a Democratic governor, um, even though you have a Republican legislature. And if the vote was not certified, then the Republican legislature, you know, gets to vote in in the House or have their vote be executed by their by their House delegation. And, uh, you know, how this plays out under the 12th Amendment and under the voting uh, law that was passed in 1877 after the, the election of 1876. Yeah, I, I, I have I, I'm still I'm still trying to get my arms around it. There's there's so many so many different pieces to this. I mean, you know, we saw we've seen this happen once in our history in 1876. In that election, the Democrat Sam Tilden not only won the majority of popular votes, he also won the majority yeah. of the electoral votes. Yet he did not become president because you but had I, three states that were occupied. Yeah. That's right. He, he didn't he didn't hit 50 percent plus one of the Electoral College. And that was because you had four states that refused to certify the vote. Oregon was occupied yeah, by the Klan. Right. You had three southern states that were occupied by the Union Army. And and in order to basically throw a wrench in the works, they all said, no, we're not going to. You know, the governors of those states said, no, we're not going to certify the vote. And boom, it gets thrown to the House of Representatives. And under the 12th Amendment, each state has one vote. That vote is determined not by the congressional delegation but by the legislatures of the individual states. And we've got either 29 or 30 states, depending on how you parse it, where the majority of the House and Senate seats in those states are Republican, which would put Donald Trump back into the White House if it were to play out in a similar fashion to the election of 1876 when Rutherford Hayes, who lost both the popular vote and the electoral vote, became president. Um, now, there was some uh, that that there was a little more drama associated with that one, because, you know, basically the way Hayes became president was he said, I will pull union troops out of the south if the Democrats will go along with making me president. So basically they cut a deal. And that's why they had to pass that law the next year, clarifying that it is the the legislatures of the states who make those decisions, because the 12th Amendment was slightly ambiguous about all this stuff. And. It hasn't been tested. It hasn't been adjudicated. It hasn't been run through the Supreme Court. This is why I said earlier, you know, John Roberts may be the one who ends up playing the largest role if that's what it comes down to. If you get, you know, Texas, Florida, and maybe one other Republican-controlled state where the governors say, you know, we've got so many mail-in ballots that are coming so late, we can't certify this election. Sorry, throw it into the House using the 12th Amendment. And at that point, you know, does Donald Trump get, quote, reelected? Um, I, you know, it seems like that would be the case, Brian, but uh, I'm, I'm still digging into it. Hassan in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Hassan, what's up? Thanks for your show. Well, like you, I'm really concerned about the 12th Amendment possibility. And I've called about this before, and I've read your article and all of the references in it, and I've taken a pretty deep dive, and I still disagree with your interpretation and I'll tell you why. The Electoral Count Act was passed in 1887. This is the act that clarified how they do the electoral counts. And it did say that the state's laws are the ones that count as far as how they do it, which is now by basically Title Three, Section 15 uh, of the U.S. Code. That's not what the second part of the 12th Amendment is talking about. In that section, it's talking about if there is no majority, then the state delegations get to do the counting. The Electoral Count Act was actually talking about which slates of electors get counted when there's a problem like in the Tilton Hayes election. Or you had competing slates of electors. Exactly. But that's not what the second part of the 12th Amendment was all about. There's actually only one election that went to the House of Representatives under the 12th Amendment, and that's the election of 1824, when there were four candidates that got electoral votes. John Quincy Adams ended up winning. Right, and he did not even have the John Quincy Adams did not even have the majority. Yeah. Andrew Jackson had the plurality, but nobody had a majority. Right, and And Jackson didn't have president. Yeah, and if you look at how that one went, it went to the House. And in fact, the Kentucky legislature had passed a resolution asking its delegation to vote for Jackson. But it was non-binding. 
And their representatives in Congress, in the U.S. Congress, actually ended up voting for Adams, where I think you might be misinterpreting it a little bit is in looking at electoral votes versus when nobody has a majority of electoral votes. There's a case called McPherson v. Blacker, where the U.S. Supreme Court said that states have basically unfettered leeway in how to choose their electors. And in fact, that case was uh, recently cited in the Chiaflo case just a couple of weeks ago. It's just a couple where, of weeks ago, they, yeah. Yeah, just where, where Justice Kagan cited McPherson and said that legislature... So, bottom line, Hassan, you're saying that you don't... I could argue either side of this, but I think at the end of the day, it's going to end up, probably, if Trump tries to make this appeal, it's going to end up before John Roberts. Do you think not? Well, I think it will go to the U.S. Supreme Court at some point, but... So, and look at what happened when, when a dispute over the presidency went to the Supreme Court in 2000. They completely ignored the Constitution and handed the presidency to, to George W. Bush. When well, Al Gore got a half that. a million more votes. I, I, I totally agree. My, my, uh, what I'm trying to get through, though, is that to be technically correct about how the 12th Amendment works so that we are ready for it, there are 26 states that have a majority of U.S. House of Representatives as Republicans, even though there's a higher majority of Democratic representatives. So we still have a problem if it happens. Right. If it just, saving, even if it were just to go to the House. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But the one possible saving grace from that is that the new Congress is seated on January 3rd, and the count happens on January 6th. So if enough can change in Congress so that we end up with at least 26 U.S. representatives from states having a majority of, of Democratic representatives, then we're in right. better shape. But, of course, the other problem is having state legislatures certify the non-winning candidate, in which case it doesn't go into the 12th Amendment counting process. There's a whole bunch of relatively fine slice-and-dice lines here, and I just, you know, I'm not trusting Donald Trump, I'm not trusting the Republican Party. You know, this is, this is such a difficult time for so many people. We all need to cut each other some slack. And in particular, reach out to the people around you and, and uh, you know, give them a physical or a metaphorical hug. Um, what a challenging time for a country. And get out there and get active. Tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 